a great round of applause for everybody that put, you know, so many hours into the worship. And uh, let's give a special round of applause to Brian Craig, who does it all for God and does an amazing job. Come on, Brian! Turn the Bible chapter 1, please. And uh, let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, uh, truly uh, it's been an amazing service already so far. I feel full, felt emotional, uh, felt so joyful, felt so thankful. I love this church so much. How did I find it, God? Truly, uh, we found the treasure hidden in the field. And uh, Father, we want to live uh, in the, your church until we see you face to face. Thank you for this incredible holiday season. I remember as a kid, God, never wanting Christmas to end, and then just the next day, it was just, I, was, I had a Christmas hangover. I just couldn't, I was, the, I was sad. And thank you that as a Christian, my joy doesn't depend on a holiday or a day or a gift or how things go, but it's a joy that can happen on a Monday or a Friday or a Wednesday or any day. And Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit in every heart that's a disciple. Father, be with us today. Be with me, as I speak Your Word, may the Word supernaturally make it into every human heart in this audience. And Father, I know You have something to say today, loud and clear, a message of grace and truth. Father, for every person, and Father, I pray, even if it's not something I say, it's something that I say that makes someone think about You. Father, we love You. We're so excited to worship You. We're so excited about this year and next year and Father, we're so thankful for everyone that's visiting, our friends and family. I pray that they would feel our love and sincerity, and most of all, see that they would see You in us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, it's great to be together. Uh, I thought I'd, uh, if you don't mind, I wanted to share. I just got back in town on Tuesday from a uh, conference. I was uh, chosen uh, to be one of eight delegates representing uh, the Southwest Family of Churches. So representing about 8,000 disciples, so we have about 1,000 people here, so I'm your delegate, so I should represent, right? And uh, share with you what I was doing. Uh, I went to a conference with 70 delegates from around the world, uh, the African brothers. Unfortunately, their visas got denied at the last minute, but everybody else was there. It was an incredible time, and so uh, we had a conference in Budapest, Hungary, and then I, I'll, share, just, I'll show you a few quick slides, if you don't mind, and then we'll get right into the lesson. Okay, there's me right there in my puffy jacket. Um, I'm at Auschwitz in Poland. Uh, my grandfather entered Auschwitz 19, November 8, 1942. I got to visit November 29, 2011, 69 years into the month. Uh, I've always wanted to go there. Uh, my mom's dad entered there and then died uh, just about a week later. I mean, uh, about a week before the war ended. Uh, he lived through Auschwitz for two and a half years. I've been reading about it and wanted to visit for about 25 years. And uh, in, the in the spirit of the sermon, do you see, uh, I saw a face, a side of evil face to face uh, that just stirred me. I'm not going to share much more than that because it's about 25 sermons and what I experienced. But I can say, uh, as I walked out, uh, there's uh, another picture of Auschwitz. As I walked out and I said, God, what do you want me to take away here? What resonated through my mind and my heart was John chapter 2. Jesus would not entrust Himself to a man, for He knew what was in a man. And I realized that I could just as well have committed all the evil 
that other human beings did to my family and to many other families. Um, you know, my mom never saw her dad again after five years old. Uh, there's the train track he came on. It was the original just track that happened to be passing by where they were going to be building Auschwitz. It was the Polish train track that they commanded before they built the, the last one that you saw there. This was the one outside of town, kind of a block away. So they, he got off that, that train track right there and got out and walked the block down a gravel road. If you took a right, you could see the, the entrance of Auschwitz, the other side of that building. And so it was a surreal experience. But I saw what happens when Christ isn't in people. Uh, then uh, I, we had a delegates conference in Budapest. And uh, uh, 700 European disciples from East and West Europe came together. I met disciples from Romania and France and Germany and everywhere else. This is uh, the brother that leads the church in uh, Estonia. And I, I took a picture with a bunch of the church leaders, but I don't have time to show you all of them. But I'm in a lot of them. You know, I, was gonna, I showed the singles. But I, I wanted to show you this guy. This guy benches 650 pounds. And... Um, He's asking, and I told him, hey, I bench 135. And he's like, you're the man. No, I didn't say that. But uh, is that just unbelievable? 600, you think I'm exaggerating? I'm not. He's the bench press champion for that region of the world. His son's 18, and he bench presses 500. So let's just say I need to hit the gym. Uh, uh, there's a, I emailed Munich before because I had two layovers in Munich there and back. And I said, hey, I'm a disciple. I'm a minister in the L.A. church. Anybody want some fellowship? Meet me at the airport for, at the layover. You know, you know. Anyway, and so uh, there's the brother that leads the church in Munich. And uh, his name is Misha. So he bought me a cup of coffee and we talked a lot. And uh, I look more tired as the pictures go on, but I, I'm not going to show you There's a European SUV. I just wanted to show you that because, I mean, let me just say to the teens, you be thankful if you get a car half this size. Um, but that thing is sweet. If you paid $12 a gallon, yours would be half the size too. Um, isn't that a great car right there? Anyway, okay. And then uh, after the conference was over, um, I went uh, with Gary Shasha, who leads the church in Phoenix. We drove three hours from Budapest to uh, Croatia, which is former Yugoslavia, broke into seven countries. It was communist for 50 years. Lots of people killed. Lots of bloodshed. And so Gary said, hey, do you want to go with me? And so I spent a day in Croatia. Uh, I didn't know anything about Croatia other than I've heard of it. And uh, I know there's a lot of Croatians in San Pedro. But uh, there's uh, uh, the church. Uh, there's, they're co- the church is co-led. Uh, that's Vedran and Romana. And I went in their house. It's a very small apartment, up s- several stairs. And I thought, now where am I staying? I didn't say it, I just thought it, because it's a very small apartment, two beds, and I thought for sure they'll pull something on the phone. They said, well, you're going to go stay with one of the single brothers, and so there's, uh, I'll, I'll come back to this picture, there I am with the single brother, that's Drago, and so I stayed at Drago's house, and let me just say, Drago was awesome. He, he, he sounded like his name, Drago. He had like a really deep voice, and when he talked, he bobbed his head so his hair would flow back and forth, and I was like... I said, I mean, I got almost no sleep, but I said, Drago, I got to get a picture of you to show everybody. Because I mean, I said, you're just vintage. I mean, this is just awesome. Such a good heart, such an amazing brother, uh, so loving, so grateful, loved the church. Uh, and there I was sharing a small, very interesting apartment. I couldn't wait to get back home. Um, 
I just hadn't lived like that in a while. You know what I'm saying? Like, anyway, you know this. Anyway, I'm not, I'll just stop right there. But Drago's awesome. And then I spoke, uh, uh, I spoke to the singles. There's the singles group. They're not all there because we met on a Monday and midweek's not on Monday, obviously. But I spoke to the singles on uh, uh, Monday night and um, Gary spoke to the parents and uh, it was awesome. What a great group. They wanted input. So we just talked about Hebrews 10, let's not give up, have a meeting together. Summer, you know, let's not have a meeting together summer and have a doing. Let's spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And we gave, came up with ideas of how they get their singles ministry going. So there I am wearing the same sweater um, almost the whole week with the singles. And I just want to show you one more picture of uh, Drago. But anyway, let's, let's keep going. <laughs> Not just an awesome name. Drago. Anyway, I got I to gotta go. I got to go. I do want to say hello from the Flemings and the Salippos. I got to fellowship with both of them. I know how they're dearly loved here. Uh, out of all the churches in Europe, guess which two churches are growing the most and the fastest? The church in Birmingham, England, where the Flemings lead, and the church in Milan, Italy, that the Salippos lead. And uh, really proud of them. And if you have to share with 100 people to get people to church here, or... 50 people, you've got to share with maybe 1,000 to get someone to share. I mean, it's, it's a whole other world. And uh, just had a great time fellowshipping with both of them, and they send their love. Joe is being pulled all over Western Europe and you know, just wanting help, people wanting help. And uh, so, so grateful for them. Uh, but the title of the lesson is, Do You See? And, um, you know, every person has a vantage point. Every person looks, that, their vantage point looks a certain way from where they stand. It looks a certain way from how they grew up. It looks a certain way from their season of life or the age that they're in. It looks a certain way from different baggage that they carry or scars in their soul. Everyone has a vantage point, a viewpoint. And the viewpoint so much is affected by where we're standing. And we want to make sure in this life that we're standing in a place to get the best view of life. To get the most proper view of life. You know, I do want to say uh, a few things about this year just to encourage you. Because I think so often we're looking forward, we don't take time to look back. Uh, and I think part of having proper vision is taking a minute, as Jeremiah 17 talks about, and seeing prosperity when it comes. I really want to first of all say I love the coastal L.A. region and I'm so thankful for each one of you. I'm so grateful for your sacrifice. Uh, this year, we uh, gave uh, over almost $500,000 to mission work in Mexico, Central America, and the Middle East. That's encouraging. Plus, I bring other good news. We made our goal for the IDOG, the International Day of Giving. And so thank you for all of you that gave to the poor. God saw your offering. He never misses a thing. And so I'm so proud of the church that we gave almost $550,000 to the work, to mission work in Mexico, Central America, and the Middle East, and to the poor. Think about how God feels about that and how amazing that is. You know, other great things this year, just to highlight uh, for a moment, starting our fifth Sunday service and starting a Latin ministry on the West Side, which I know has been a dream for so many for so many years. So thankful to the Politos and so thankful to all the disciples that pulled together to start that new church on the West Side. 
What a great victory. I'm so thankful for the revival that's happened on the West Side Campus Ministry and at UCLA and the people that are being converted there. What a great victory. So thankful. And, and I want you to just pause for a 21 people went to Honduras. Uh, I had the privilege of going with them uh, there in July. And uh, five of those were teenagers that raised $1,000 each in about a two-month, three-month period to go pay their own way as well as to get vitamins and things to serve the poor. What an incredible victory that was for the region. And, uh, and then on a personal note, you know, uh, my daughter became a disciple on Father's Day, which was the coolest thing. And um, I, I'm falling more in love with my wife. So for, she's over there. Uh, it just keeps getting better. So those of you that have been you know, newly married and you're having your challenges, I did too. Uh, it just keeps getting better if you stay in the Lord and you embrace discipling and you stay close to God. Because I'm falling more in love with her. She's, uh, I was already amazed when I met her, more amazed as I married her. And I still am in awe of um, just how beautiful she is, how amazing she is, how she keeps growing, as well as Michelle can fix anything. It's unbelievable. I can fix nothing, but she can fix everything. Every time I'm out of town, she's figured out something, assembled something. She changed the faucets on her. I helped. But she changed both faucets on our sink and installed the dishwasher. Uh, with my help! Okay, I was holding the light. There was Michelle under the sink. you got to understand, I have issues about assembling things. Strong issues. And I have three favorite daughters that I'm really thankful for. I told uh, Gina once, I was sitting across the table a month ago, I go, Gina, quietly, I said, you're my favorite. And Tally goes, <gasps> and I said, uh, I said, 12-year-old, right at the last second. But, I, you know, I think favoritism is okay if they're all your favorite. But I'm so, so thankful. You know, our world desperately needs vision. And, I, I, and, and they desperately need hope. Even just looking at the news as I was preparing for the lesson, the guy shooting the guy at Virginia Tech was just a 22-year-old part-time college student from Radford that was troubled. Shot the police officer, then shot himself. The guy yesterday on Vine in Hollywood or the day before, 26-year-old guy from Pennsylvania, unemployed, just broke up with his girlfriend and just snapped. Walked in the middle of Hollywood Boulevard with a gun and started shooting in the air and just shooting at random cars. And sh- I mean, shooting in the air and shooting at random cars until a couple police officers shot him dead. Just how sad. I th- just think about the parents of these young men. And, and you know that's just one of a story that's happening every day, multiple times a day around the world. Our world needs Christ so much. And the wor- our world needs to be able to look at life through Jesus. When you look at life through Jesus' eyes, it's amazing how everything changes. And they need that so desperately. You know this quote on the screen, eyes that look are common, but eyes that see are rare. And uh, I want to share right here this, um, uh, this project here, these pictures. This is called the Polaroid Project. And this woman, Nicole Kenny, she's 31 years old. She's an artist. She's got a graduate degree and very creative. And she's traveled the world. She went to India, Chicago, Philadelphia, different places. And she's taken Polaroid pictures of people and said, I want to ask you this question, and then I want you to write it on the Polaroid picture. And I'm going to start the sentence, before I die, blank. 
And so she's interviewed people. And the reason she did it was threefold. One is the Polaroid camera died. It's gone. And once it ran, once the film was out of the uh, supply chain, that was it. So that was the one reason. The Polaroid camera was dying. Number two, and more importantly, she did what was called a safety contract, where psychologists will go with someone that's suicidal and make them make a commitment to them. So it makes it harder for them to continue on with what they're feeling because they just made a commitment to somebody. And so in her mind, if somebody can make a safety contract with me, maybe that'll help them have more hope as they see forward. And then finally, she thought, I wanted people to have a passion and to think about and act upon what is really important in their lives through this simple, straightforward question. What do you think about? What do you want to see before you die? Uh, This, uh, let me read these to you because I can't see totally from here, but I'm going to run through these very fast that I thought were kind of interesting. This guy says, I want um, to make a valuable, I want to feel I've made a valuable contribution before I die. She also went to hospice centers and interviewed those people. Here's a woman from hospice. She says, the most important thing before I die is that the things that I learned are passed on to the next generation. This woman says, sitting in hospice, I would like to be 20 years old again before I die. Uh, This woman says, who has a passion for people and education and children, before I die, I want to change the way we teach kids. This guy says, before I die, I want to find true love. This guy says, before I die, I'd like to see love again. I want to see my wife look at me with fulfillment in her eyes. Doesn't a lot of men or a lot of women that are married. This guy says, as many parents would say, before I die, I want to see my son become a man and get married. This guy says, before I die... I would like to become a better person. This woman says, before I die, I want to know what God has put me here to do. Because I don't know what that is. Disciples do. This guy says, before I die, I want to live life, not just exist. Don't a lot of people feel that? This woman says, before I die, I want to seek God. Find God, excuse me. I hope a disciple meets her. And this guy says, as many people feel, before I die, I want to resolve my inability to have intimate relationships. And obviously, if you go on the website and look, there's a lot of really corny ones. A lot of people that, you know, just said crude things. But I thought these were some meaningful. These are some people that took it rather serious. This is, when they were thinking about the full thinking forward and thinking about the future, they were saying to themselves, this is what I want to see. It would be a good exercise for you and I to do, to make a list of what we want to do before we die. This last one says, before I die, I want to be wiser. And that's what I'm going to be talking about today, is wisdom from older people uh, about Jesus, that we're looking forward to before they died, they wanted to see Jesus. We're going to talk today about age-old wisdom in Luke chapter 1 and 2. Age-old wisdom. Wisdom that's been around for a very long time. And 1 Corinthians 1.24 says, But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, he's talking about people that are religious and not religious, Christ, he says, is the power of God 
and the wisdom of God. You know, do a study on wisdom, and it's all throughout the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And imagine going through life without wisdom. All the self-inflicted wounds, all the things that your feet get tangled in, all the traps you get in, all the different problems that you have only because you don't have wisdom. And I'm so thankful that we have older brothers and sisters in the church that have incredible wisdom. I want to say to the older brothers and sisters, and you say, well, would I be in that category? Well, to be politically correct, since 60 is the new 40, 40 is the new 20, 70 is the new 50, I don't know what you'd be in. You're going to have to figure that out. But I do know that I'm very thankful for the older disciples in the church. They give us hope that you can be older and zealous. That you can be older and devoted. That you can be older and have passion and conviction. That you can be older and have joy. That you can be older and not be a fuddy-duddy. The Bible says uh, in the book of Leviticus... This is for the younger people especially. It says, rise in the presence of the agent. Meaning, let's have some respect. Some of the older people are like, that's right. Now, but, I, but I love this whole concept of age-old wisdom. You know, Danielle kept asking me, Dad, what are you going to preach about? I said, I'll let you know, it's brewing. She said, what are you going to preach about? Well, she wouldn't stop. What are you going to preach about? I said, you'll see, it's brewing. I can't tell you, it spoils it. It's, what do you mean it's brewing, Dad? Well, it brews. It's, it's working. I said, I was, then she kept asking. I said, okay, I said I'm going to speak about some older people. She said, oh, Dad. I mean, I said, Danielle, is it boring? She goes, yeah. I mean, when they use those old people's names you can't remember and pronounce. And, I mean, it just doesn't sound very exciting. So, Danielle, we'll see how it goes here. <laughs> Winston Churchill said, the farther backward you can look, the farther forward you are likely to see. And I want us to go old school today and go all the way back to Jesus and to go all the way back to before Jesus and to look at, here's three older people getting kind of at the end of their lives. One's 84 years old. The other one's very old. It doesn't say their age. And the other one's very old and it doesn't say their age. But they're all at the end of their life. And if you were to ask them and take a Polaroid of them and say, before you die... What do you want? Every one of them had something deeply on their heart. You know, look over in Luke chapter 1, and I want you to be inspired to see what these people saw. In Luke 1, verse 67, you see, starting with Zechariah. And let me just kind of paint the picture a little bit here. Zechariah was a priest, came from incredible lineage, his wife, Elizabeth, came from the lineage of Aaron. And they so much wanted a baby. And now they were old, still dutiful, still faithful to God. But you can imagine some of the conversations that, over the years, Elizabeth and Zechariah. Prayers, tears, talks, frustrations, longings unfulfilled. And so Zechariah, uh, as you know, did his job as a priest there. And he comes and it's his turn by Lot, and you know it's never by chance when it comes to connecting with God, by Lot, he's called into burnt incense into the temple. And so he gets on his robe as he always does, and he gets the incense. 
And he goes in there and lights it, and he thinks it's, just, it's going to be just another time like the last time. And suddenly he gets startled, and there's an angel right there saying, Zechariah, you're going to have a baby. Your wife's going to have a baby. He's going to turn a lot of people to God. He's going to be a joy to you. He's going to have the Holy Spirit from birth. And Zechariah says, huh, in fear, how is this going to happen? And the angel says back to him, it's going to happen. Because whatever God says is going to happen, happens. And he says, and by the way, you're not going to be able to talk till it happens. And then you'll know it's God. Now, men don't talk that much anyway. But that's rough. For ten months, he couldn't say anything. Can you imagine him trying to describe this angel and this thing? And he, he, I mean, how intense. But then ten months goes by. The baby's born. They're right there. You're supposed to name him after the father. And the family around him said, what's his name? What's his name? And he takes it and he writes out, his name is John. And as soon as he said that, his tongue was loosed. And look what he says with his first words. He's holding his baby boy. And he's looking forward. You say, do you see? Look what he sees. When you prophesy, you see what's ahead. His father, verse 67, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn, that's another word for strength, of salvation for us. In the house of his servant David, as he said through the holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. I love this last, this next sentence. And to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness all of our days. And you, and then he... So he prophesies in general, and then he looks right at his baby son. And he says, and you, my child, will be called prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew strong in spirit and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. You know, I want you to walk away with one thing today. You don't have to wait to get older to get this age-old wisdom. You don't have to wait till the end of your life and just, well, once I get older, I'll get this wisdom. This wisdom in Christ is here for the taking. Our focus on Christ you know, something happened here. Because I studied this many, many, many times over the last couple of weeks, thinking deeply about it. Mary had an angel visit her. I'm not talking about it in the sense of the details, but she had an angel at 14, 15 years old visit her. Almost the same conversation. Just a different person being born, obviously. And she, they both said, how can this be? Mary... You know, it says, I'm your servant, I'll do whatever you want. But there was something in Zechariah's heart, in doubt and fear. And I think as we look at Zechariah, we've got to be encouraged, get some age-old wisdom here, that we need to believe and be courageous. Anytime you see God calling you to make a step of faith, there's fear right there. If you don't feel the fear, you're not making a move of faith. 
But what we do with the fear determines everything. And there was something in his heart that the Bible doesn't totally show us because they said almost the same thing. But there was something in, in doubt and stubbornness in his heart. Because he said, oh, Lord, how are you going to do it? And he says, well, now you're not going to get to talk, but you're going to see it. Fear can ruin our faith. He had been going through the motions. He was so close to God. He was right there at the altar. He was lighting the incense, kind of symbolizing the prayers going up to God. It says in the passage, the Lord has heard your prayers. So he was right there praying. He was before the altar. He had on the robes. How do you get closer to God in the Old Testament than that? But even though he was that close to the altar and that close to God, and right there in the temple, there was things in his heart that didn't believe. See, we can go to church two times a week, give our offering, do the right thing, and still not have real faith in our hearts. Because to walk by faith, it feels a little scary. To walk by faith, it's challenging. It takes courage to keep growing. In fact, the worst thing that can happen in my heart is to feel like, I got this. Which part? This. How do you figure? I feel good about it. I got it. That's the worst thing that can happen. It's good for me to be stretched. It's good for me to feel uncertainty. It's good for me to feel like, I don't think I can do this. I don't want to do this. I'm kind of nervous. You know, Zechariah was so close to God, and yet he was holding back. You know, um, you think about Zechariah and Elizabeth, how happy they were, how excited they were, what their thoughts were before I die. We just want to have a child. And God says, I'm not just going to give you a child. I'm going to give you the guy that's going to make the way for the Son of God. Go back and read what the angel said to Zechariah about his son and how much joy he brings. You know, I don't believe that Zechariah and Elizabeth lived long enough to see him preach because they were very old and people didn't live that long anyway, so they were probably past the life expectancy then. And then he didn't start preaching till he was, you know, around 30-ish later on in life, went off into the desert. They may have never heard a sermon, may have never seen his dream fulfilled, and they probably didn't see him get beheaded either. They didn't know what was going to happen to their son, but they understood at this point. He surrendered. He got courageous. They believed at that point. And look at what God did with John the Baptist. You know, God wants us to surrender our children to Him. Because sometimes you feel afraid. Well, what's going to happen when I die and leave this earth? What's going to happen? Parents, how many have thought that? Who's going to protect my children? God will. What's going to happen to... Hey, you put the right stuff in. God's going to work things out. But it takes a level of faith as we get older... To keep believing. You know, I love this passage where it says we're enabled to serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. It makes me think of Hebrews 9, 14, where the Bible says, How much more does the unblemished blood of Christ cleanse those, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so we may serve the living God? Guilt is a funny thing. It messes us up, twists us up, paralyzes us. But Christ not just forgives our sins, He also removes the guilt so that we can have clean consciences and feel confident to serve God. God, you sure you can use me? Well, you're forgiven. I know, but yesterday. Yeah, but just repent and you're forgiven. You're washed. 
I know, but it was like two weeks ago. I blew it here and I did this. And, I mean, you sure? I mean, it's not a... And Satan is always, what's his name mean? Accuser. And I love the fact that Christ enables us to serve God without fear and without guilt if we're truly walking in Him. You know, this year, uh, the next two, three months, we're going to do something called a financial self-checkup. You know, all of you know that people, that the, you know, every time I go to the dentist, you didn't know this, the doctor lifts up my tongue with a little gauze piece and feels around looking for types of cancer. And you know that if you ever felt a lump in your neck or anywhere else, you wouldn't go, huh, it's weird, it's never there before. Interesting. Not one on the other side. Oh, well, I'm not going to worry about it. Hey, it's still there. It's growing, too. It's kind of weird. But I feel normal. It's not bothering me. Nobody can tell. You would not just go, yeah, I've got this lump and I've had it for a long time and I'm not worried. You would want to know what's wrong. And so as we do this financial self-checkup, some of us have lumps in our heart. We're not being courageous as it comes to giving. Say, this is a Christmas service. You're only supposed to say nice things. I am. I'm just saying, you're going to do a little feeling of the heart right there. And if there's a lump there, something's wrong. If this isn't a treasure to you, something's wrong. The whole world is God's. But, but we're going to do a checkup and we're going to have talks with those that need help so that everyone's heart can be joyful and faithful and courageous and believe that this is their treasure. You know, we're working with the teens to teach the teens about giving every week. Say they don't have anything. Yes, they do. Look at all the things they buy throughout the week. How many bags of hot Cheetos and Frappuccinos? They got the money from somewhere. You know they didn't steal the Cheetos. But if they don't give it 13, 14, 15, 16, guess what's going to happen at 36? Uh, yeah, you know, we've got to teach the habits about being courageous and believing in what we're part of and what we're doing. Luke chapter 2, verse 30, 25. You see another guy right here, Simeon. Simeon was an incredible man. You know, you don't see anything about Simeon or Anna in the rest of the Bible. Just a couple of verses for both of them. And Simeon, you know, Simon says, well, Simeon says, keep searching and be sensitive. If you look right here, how many times the Holy Spirit's mentioned? Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And this last sentence is challenging. Parents, 
and a sword will pierce your own soul too. You know, what a story here about this guy, Simeon. The Bible doesn't say he was a religious man in the sense of worked for the temple. or It just sounds like he was just a normal worshiper of God that God rewarded. And it's cool because it says that he was waiting. If you said, Simeon, give me some age-old wisdom. What do you want before you die? And he says, I'm waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, I have to confess, I know what a consolation prize is but I didn't know how it fit in this verse. So I had to look up the definition of consolation. It means a person or thing providing comfort. So Simeon knew something was missing for the people of Israel and something was missing for him. He had been taught as a young boy to long for the Messiah, to wait for the Messiah. And he was just hoping, God, it'd be so cool that before I die... I get to witness the Messiah coming. And he was waiting for it. What are you waiting for today? What are you longing for? What do you really want in your heart of hearts? Is church just something you do, have to do? It's just you grew up that way and so it just kind of continues in the tradition? Has it become ritualistic? Or do you feel like, man, I just want to keep growing spiritually. Man, I'm waiting. I can't. I can't believe I get to be a Christian. You know, it says that Simeon was sensitive to the Spirit. It says he was waiting and the Holy Spirit was on him. It says he, the Holy Spirit revealed things to him. And it says, thirdly, he was moved by the Spirit. You know, one of the areas I feel like, there's a uh, few areas that I feel like we've got to take a jump as a region. A lot of things are going good. But good is the enemy of great. I didn't quote that. That's from a book. It sounded cool. Um, one of the things we're going to grow in this year is loving the poor. Some of you, maybe 10%, 20%, you, I'm not talking to you. You help us. Help the other 80% or 90%. But I think loving the poor and helping the poor is something really important to God. It's in almost every book of the Bible somehow, some way. It's, it's just important to God. And some of us, like in other areas, are bent that way. We already know that. We got it. We lead the way. No one has to tell us. Others of you are like me. I want to, but guess what? Just don't get there. Now, I make it to the day on hope. That's Martin Luther, day, uh, um, Martin Luther King Jr. weekend coming up. I go every year. Get my hope shirt on. I love it. But is that all Marco can do for the poor? Is January? One day a year? And, you know, I've delivered some turkeys and I went to help the poor in, you know, in Central America. So, you know, there's, but is that the most I can, and is that my worship? Is that what the Spirit wants from me? I think the Spirit's give, saying, Mark, you've got to do a lot more for the poor. It's important to God. And so I'm really working, I'm getting with a group called the Champions for the Poor, the kind of a leaders of this group this uh, Tuesday night at my home. And we're going to talk about what's our next step. And we got 90 people, almost 100 people together. Uh, a couple months ago, all the staff, all the elders, all the shepherds in training, all their wives, all the interns, everybody to say, let's focus on this. But I think this is something the Spirit wants us to be sensitive to. So I'm going to challenge you this year. You can tune me out, but I'm going to challenge you anyway. Once a month, 
do something for the poor. I'm going to work super hard with the champions for the poor and the staff to provide a vehicle that would be easy for you to get into and get onto to this project. Whatever it is, figuratively speaking. But you've got to get on the vehicle. You've got to go and do it. And it's not going to happen where you can do it every month. But then go do something on your own for a neighbor. Go do something for someone that's elderly. Go do something for someone for the poor. But once a month, what could 1,111 people do serving the poor for our community? It's incredible when we think about it. We have to be sensitive to what the Spirit wants. You know, another thing I see in this passage, where you see Simeon who is just searching and and staying sensitive to what God wanted, was Simeon was serious about his worship. You know, great things happen when you're at midweek, at church, sitting down with another disciple. When you're sensitive to the Spirit, or not sensitive to the Spirit, but you're there, you get sensitive to the Spirit. And one of the things we're going to be working on this year, another big area we're going to grow in, or this is the third area, is coming together for midweek. There's a large portion of our church that has taken the mindset of the world. The world says, of the religious world, church is only when? And everything else is optional. You say, I didn't say that. No, you didn't, but your feet showed that. You say, but I made it last year twice. Amen. But really, it's not about checking off. I, but Lord, I made it to midweek every week of my life. It's not about that. Midweek's family time. Midweek, you kind of can mix it up a little bit that you can't say on Sunday. Or Midweek is, I mean, almost everybody doesn't want to go to midweek in the flesh. But you just put it in drive and just... But those are the times... I leave last the most joyful because I was the most empty. So I just want to make it public that midweek isn't optional for a disciple. And if, and it, this has nothing to do with me and everything to do with somebody that's really longing for Christ, sensitive to what the Spirit wants. I mean, you've, let a, you've been part of a Bible talk where two people come and you're like, now what? This stinks. You've been in midweek where like the first rows fold and you're like, wow, is this, uh, is this like the, the bar of commitment right here? I mean, you, you, you feel it. We're a family. A lot of good stuff happens at midweek. Let's be sensitive to the Spirit. Let's look forward to what God is doing. Imagine if Simeon said, I'm not going to the temple today. I'm just not feeling it. What he would have missed out on. He was just living what he wanted. You know, the Spirit is working so powerfully. When I was in Europe, I was determined I'm going to share my faith everywhere I go. So I started with the guy on the plane, 11 hours next to me. I talked to him the entire time. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Total joke. Um, 24 years old, handsome, professional soccer player from Sweden. He says, Marco, I've never read the Bible once in my life. I Well, let's turn to John chapter 1 and we can, you know, I'll show you how awesome it is. He goes, I've only been to church twice. Christmas and Easter. I mean, um, a funeral and a wedding. I said, well, and I shared my transformonial, how God has changed my life. And it was amazing. He goes, man, you make a lot of sense. I said, it's not my wisdom. It's the Bible. And he goes, well, what would I do next? 
And I kind of scratched my head because he lives five hours from Stockholm. And I said, well, um, I can uh, send you some scriptures and you can get a Bible and uh, you can listen to some of the, my sermons online. Then I was in Poland and I'm in the airport and I'm at the wrong part and there's just me and this woman sitting there. And so she, you know, we kind of figured out we're in the wrong spot and I start talking with her and um, asked her if she can call them my, my host because I didn't know how to speak Polish. Can you call it? You know, and she's helped me out. And then I started sharing my faith with Caroline, about a 31-year-old woman. And she goes, my mom's telling me the same thing. I said, well, maybe God put me here and um, God could change your life. He's changed my life so much. And you ever think about this and that? Just started sharing my faith. And she said, well, what do I do next? I said, well, um, how about if I email you some scriptures to read and you can listen to some of my sermons online. Do you see a pattern here? But, I, I mean, it was just awesome, the openness. And then the couple I stayed with in Poland, Chris and Eva, you know, were sitting late in the night. I'm sharing my faith. And they said, do you have a church here in Krakow? I said, no, but we're going to replant one in Warsaw this summer. And maybe we can start one, I said, in your house here in Krakow. And she says, well, maybe we probably have to start going first. I go, good point. And, uh, and their attitude is, what would I do next? And I said, well, we can, I can email you some scriptures, and you can start listening to my sermons Online. So, Brian, if you see three hits go up on the... on the, uh... And then I shared with a guy in the Apple store in Croatia. And, you know, he wanted to come. And then the, I sat next to this uh, affluent uh, Jewish man that had never been to the U.S., older man. And he says, we start talking, he says, I don't believe in God anymore. I said, really? Why is that? Because I got really sick when I was 45, both my brain and my heart. And now I believe in science. I said, now, wait a second. God spared your life. He gave the wisdom to the doctors that helped you and your body to respond to the medicines. So be careful. And he says, and I said, well, tell me more about what happened. And then before you know, he's like leaning over the seat going, you have a lot of wisdom. And I'm like, it's from the Bible. And he's like, I don't know what's happening here, but I'm pouring out my life to you. And, uh, <laughs> but when we're sensitive to the spirits, it's amazing what God can do. Lastly, look at these last two verses in Luke 2. I love this woman, Anna. Verse 36, there was a prophetess named Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the daughter of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. So we get some age-old wisdom here. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. What an amazing woman. We get two verses about this woman. She's 84 years old. She was married for seven years. Her husband died. I don't know how many, 60 years went by. I mean, people got married very young and didn't live that old. But here she was, 84. And look what she did with her free time. Bitter? I don't think so. Struggled? Yes, she's human. It says she worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Let me just throw out some good challenges for you. You're visiting today. God's prepared something great for you. Study the Bible with us. Get some of this age-old wisdom. If you're studying the Bible, you've you got two weeks. Not till the end of the world, but till the end of the year. Become a Christian these next two weeks. Don't keep postponing. It's not always a knowledge thing. It's often just a stubbornness thing. Become a Christian. And for some of you that are getting restored, don't be the perpetual restoration. The person that just says, well, I'm working on things. Surrender in your heart. It's a heart thing. Surrender in your hearts. And for those of you that are having quiet times almost every day, 
this year, go for every day. For those of you that are having them every day, go for night and day. Pray to God at night, not just in the morning. Let's go after our relationship with God. Amen? He says, she said that she came up right at the moment that Simeon was doing his thing. She walks right up and the Spirit says, talk, there's the Messiah. I mean, can you imagine? She just steps in and starts speaking. And she gave thanks to God and started speaking about the child. You know, I really believe with all my heart in the next eight years, there's 889 people that are looking forward to the redemption. You say, why is that? Well, there's 1,111 people in our region. We have a vision that we could be over 2,000 by 2020. Don't you think there's 889 people that are looking forward to their lives being redeemed? Say, Marco, I'm not a numbers guy, nor am I. I'm a people person. I'm, a, I'm about the story. That's someone's husband, wife, child. That's some broken dreams. Those are the people on the Polaroid. But let's believe that there's so many people looking for God. You know, I don't remember fasting much in 2012. I'm not a big fan of fasting. I'm, to my shame, I don't. I like to eat. Let's go after some personal fasting in 2012. Let's go after our prayer life. Let's believe what God's going to do. And let's take these things to heart. You don't have to wait to get older. Let's take the age-old wisdom that's for us right now. Thank you.